Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This week's episode, I have Mike Shea, the author and creator of the hit indie series, Miskatonic High. Miskatonic High right now is on uh, issue 9, I believe, on Kickstarter at the time of this release. Uh, Please make sure you go check it out. Uh, Mike, not only is a great friend of mine, but he is an absolutely awesome creator. And Miskatonic High, I cannot recommend enough. And if you would like... A free copy of my hit indie series, Man of Sin, the first issue for free. You go to aguildy.com forward slash free comic. So, without further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, today's guest is someone that uh, was definitely on my short list when I decided to uh, do this podcast. It's someone that I wanted to reach out and have on here. He is the writer and creator of the hit indie series, Miskatonic High. Mike Shea, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing really well, man. And thank you so much for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was definitely, you know, when, when I was thinking about this and I was writing down names of people who I wanted to reach out to and connect with, uh, you were definitely at the, the top of the list. You know, someone that I, I know and, and I, you know, I admire uh, as a creator and someone who um, I think is just, kicking butt right now with uh with with the series Miskatonic Eye. Well, don't worry by the end of this conversation I'll be on the other end of your list, so I, <laughs> I think we'll be all set. Yeah, but thank know, you so uh, much, man. That's really nice of you to say. Oh, you, you know, you're welcome, man. I you know, I think we I think we met what a year it was before my daughter was born. I know that. So my my daughter is one now, so maybe a year and a half ago. And uh I, I think you maybe you had one or two issues of Miskatonic Eye out. And now, what, where are you at now with that? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, yeah. So, when we first met, because I saw your Man of Sin work stuff all over and was really, uh, you know, the art on that is incredible. And, you know, I couldn't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. Um, and, yeah, we, we started talking. And if I remember right, I was trying to teach you lettering and you were trying to teach me editing. And I'm not sure how effective either one of us were. <laughs> I, uh it, yeah, I, I do appreciate the lettering tips. I, you know what? I tried it and then like, I got like two weeks in and I was like, all right, this is, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not for everybody. It's, you know, some people really, really like it. And some people are just like, no, th- take this away from me. Cause I'm going to break it. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> we had done like two or three issues cause you helped with the editing on number four, which we hadn't launched yet. And God, now we've done eight regular issues, and we're currently kickstarting a crossover issue, and we've kickstarted a, a trade paperback too. Yeah, I um, when I saw the crossover, I actually I, I um the uh, Lovecraft PI guys at the crossover. Um, I was a fan of their work because I think they were having um a a launch around the same time as well for one of their series. Um, and then I saw you guys were doing a crossover, and I was like, man, that is like an absolutely just amazing idea. So um, how did that crossover kind of come about? Right. So, yeah. So he was launching his second book. Uh, it's called The Curious Case of Reanimator. And Lovecraft fans will get those references immediately. But essentially what his comic is, is taking H.P. Lovecraft the guy and reimagining him as a like film noir paranormal investigator. He goes to these places, investigates cults, you know, ends up getting in, 
in over his head using a Tommy gun to shoot at Lovecraft monsters. It's great. I, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful series that he's done. And so he was launching the second one and he sent me a link and said, Hey, you know, would you mind taking a look at this? You know, I'm not, I'm not great at Kickstarters. You know, I want to, you know, to have another pair of eyes on this, which is always a great idea. And I looked at it. And so I got a first look at some of his art on it. And I was blown away. I mean, it looks so good. It was such a great concept. I, you know, we started just becoming friends and talking. And, you know, once I read his books, the, I found that there was a lot more to it than I expected, which is always a great thing when you read comics, is you expect, okay, it's going to be film noir with Lovecraft monsters. What more do I need? And what he had done is he had taken this character and found a way to create a a deep past in him that you that you're curious about. You know, he's a World War 1 veteran and it clearly left him scarred a little. He but he almost likes monsters better than he likes humans or at least he's he doesn't see monsters as monsters. He sees them as people too. And that really made me interesting about like who this guy was and you know as as a writer and I'm sure you do this too is when you come across these characters you think Huh, I wonder what makes him tick. I wonder if, you know, the best thing that I could ever do is is get a crack at writing him. But, you know, he's he's not my character. I can't do him. And we were chatting and, you know, I can't remember who said it, but suggested, hey, why don't we do a crossover? And the thing about our series, Miskatonic High, is it's Lovecraft and teenage high school comedy mixed with horror mixed with pathos mixed with drama mixed with you know just totally inappropriate humor and you know the way that we are ryan mendoza and i ryan mendoza is the co-creator of the comic with me and does all the art we just wanted to have fun we wanted to do something different and we wanted to take chances we wanted to do things that people weren't expecting of us and so when this came along and said hey why don't we do a crossover it's like Yes, we are doing a crossover. And so uh, we kicked around the idea. We had a couple ideas before we came across the one that we wanted to do. But the concept behind the crossover really went back, and I'm aging myself saying this, to Magnum P.I. was on the same channel on the same night as Simon and Simon, who were private investigators. And so they would have crossovers where the 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 brothers from Simon and Simon would go on Magnum PI out to the Hawaiian Islands and you know run into Magnum PI and Higgins and all that and then you know for the second episode Magnum PI would come to San Diego or more likely he would send Higgins to San Diego and and they would finish off the story there. And so the idea for us was hey why don't we do the first issue in Miskatonic times, Miskatonic high times, you know, current time in, you know, New England, you know, with our high school kids, we'll write it, we'll draw it. And then the second issue, we won't tell you how, we'll go back to Miss, uh, we'll go back to Lovecraft PI time. So we'll go back to 1932 in Washington, D.C. And his art team will do it and he'll write it. And it'll be like that where, you feel like you're in our issue, and then you'll feel like you're in their issue. And that's how it came about, and we just had so much fun doing it. Yeah, that sounds like a absolutely, first off, a, a, a amazing kind of story and collaborative thing. 
And uh, it has to be really fun to kind of get to play in with someone's toys. And it's got to be a little nerve-wracking letting someone else play with your toys. Right. Actually, yes. Both of those things are very, very true. You know, it's like you get these toys and you think this is going to be so much fun and you have so much fun writing it. And then you got to turn it over to the guy who actually does it. And you're like, oh, crap. What did I do? Um, And you turn it over and he's like, yeah, this is um, interesting. And, you know, so then then we turned it over to him for the second issue, and he wrote it, and he turned it back to us. And we're like, yeah, this is interesting, too. And so what we did was I, I, I asked him if it would be okay if he would come in to the first issue, which was our issue, and spruce up Lovecraft's dialogue. You know, it's one thing to write the character. It's another thing to get the dialogue down. And I didn't feel like I had it down perfectly. So I asked him to come in and he came in and he spruced it up and it sounds so much better. And then he asked if I would come in and do the kids on, on the second one just to spruce them up a little, make them sound like, you know, our, uh, the readers are used to them sounding. So that's why you see both writers credits on both books is because, you know, we had that ghost writer coming in and, and work on the dialogue a little. Yeah, and uh, for your book particularly, since it's an ensemble, you got to have to juggle a bunch of different voices, a bunch of different backstories, and what's going on currently. Um, you know, so that that had to have been really probably difficult uh, for him to do, but it's probably also a lot of fun too. Um, one of my favorite characters uh, in Miska Tanakai is, uh, is Ren, right? That's her name. The, she is just, I just, uh, I, I just find her, um, I, I find in those first few issues you were having just a lot of fun with her and, uh, and, and a lot of them are definitely kind of grow. I could see, I could see it with each issue. Um, cause, um, they're, they're all growing in a bunch of different and unique ways. Kind of, how was that, how was that process been like for you to take kind of this initial concept, which, uh, I, I guess it's like kind of like breakfast club meets Lovecraft. And then now, now it's this complete, kind of the same thing but it's definitely evolving like how is that how has it been for you as a writer writer yeah well it's exactly like that you know and that's kind of the joy of it so you go into these comic series and you think you have all your ideas set you think okay i know who this character is i know who that character is i know that they're going to do this i know they're going to do that and that's about good for one issue and then the second issue comes along and you're like well crap now what do i do um and what I wanted to do and what I sort of convinced Ryan to let me do was take an issue and just deal with one of the kids and really get into who that kid is and sort of find out what makes them tick and to write a story specifically, not just about them, but about who they are. So we have uh, one issue four, which is our hockey player, you know, popular kid. And, you know, it's just an action adventure story because that's who he is. You know, he thinks in terms of action movies and things like that. And then the second one is about, you know, the outcast girl. And so it's a story about being an outcast and about, you know, being dragged down no matter how hard you fight against it. And, you know, it was really, really liberating for me to have that so I could focus, okay, the second issue is all going to be about her. Who is she? 
And so I could think it through and I could think through how to write a story for that and then turn it over to Ryan. And, and the great thing about having a collaborator, collaborator is I could turn the story over to him and he can dissect it and find out exactly what's wrong with it and say, um, why is she doing this? And why is that happening there? And, you know, this needs to be punched up a little. And, you know, again, when you've worked on with somebody, you trust them implicitly. So when he says something's not working, I know it's not working. I don't even question it. I don't fight it. I just say, okay, yeah. And then I go back and I, I rework it. And so, yeah, so we, we did that for each character. And I really found out who those characters were as I was writing them. Ren, who you mentioned, is an incredibly popular character. She's one of, she's probably the most popular character, the character I get the most emails about. And the thing is, she's the hardest to write because she's a popular girl, but she's got a mystery past. And she, she can be kind of bitchy, but also she's kind of awesome because she doesn't give a damn. And so for me, she's like a character kind of like Quicksilver. I can't really grasp who she is all the time. And that's kind of what I love about writing her because you never know what she's going to do next, which as a writer is great. But also I think for readers is great because you don't want to know exactly where the story is going. You don't want to know where the characters are going. You want those characters in the story to surprise you. And if you can have characters who do that for you, it makes my job as a writer that much easier. Yeah, uh, going back to just the collaborator thing, I'm uh, starting a new series and I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know uh, the artists on the series and um, we're, we're working uh, some things out. And as we're going through the series, he's like, you know what, I, I really don't like this page. And he was really nice about it. And uh, we, we started talking about it and I realized, oh man, you're right. And it's one of those things where, where you, start, you start clicking, like when, when you guys start clicking, it almost feels like you're in each other's heads sometimes. And uh, it's, it's really interesting, too, when you have something in your head, and uh, I was talking to another creator about this, and you put it down on paper, and you get it back from the artist, and not only is it exactly like what you had in your head, but it's 10 times better. And I don't know how, I don't know how else to explain it, where it's exactly what you thought, but better, but only when you're, only in the comic medium, I think you could get something like that. So I think it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's been really awesome uh, to kind of uh, see this kind of collaboration start uh, from the beginning. One, uh, one thing that I, I really like about Ren that you've done is that at the beginning, I think issue one, um, she comes off almost very kind of uh, stereotypical. Like you, you think she's going to be the mean girl and then you take her on this really interesting path. And I think that's why people kind of are, are, gravitate towards her because she's not a mean girl but she is i think you you nailed it right she's like kind of all over the place but in like a, a very um not calculated way but like in a almost deliberate way i don't know how else to describe it but uh it's just been really fun uh, watching you play with her right and you know it that was a conversation actually it was a few conversations that ryan and i had you know, and, and I think a lot of people who are doing kind of mainstream comics or all-age comics or whatever are grappling with is, can you have characters who aren't perfect? 
Like right now, a lot of people want their characters to be perfect. They want them to not do mean things. They want them to not make mistakes. They want them to not, you know, have a bad day and, you know, just say something stupid. And, you know, Ryan and I talked about it. And the whole point of doing a book about high school kids is the drama is a lot higher than it is with adults. You know, they feel things a lot more. They're dealing with things a lot more. The things that they're dealing with are their whole world, you know. But also the second thing is they have so much to learn. You know, I look back when I was in high school and I said so many stupid things and I thought so many stupid things and I hurt so many people's feelings that I shouldn't have that I would love to go back and fix now. And that's kind of what I love about the characters and what we agreed on for the characters was our characters aren't going to be perfect. They're high school kids. They're going to mess up. They're going to say stupid things. They're going to have bad days. They're going to, they're going to be, you know, have raging hormones. They're going to not like each other. They're going to, you know, all these things. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I really like about writing our characters is allowing them to not be that way. And to mess up, like, I, there's nothing more I like than writing stories of, you know, the kids screwing up some way. Because it feels so true to high school kids that you just feel like you mess up all the time. So, yeah, I mean, we're having fun with it. The characters are hopefully coming along. But, you know, yeah, it really is that thing where you think you know what it is when you go into it. But you don't really. You You figure it out. As you go, as you put them in these different situations. And at some point, the characters start telling you which way they're going to go. Like, maybe first off, when you're thinking of the whole series, you're thinking, okay, well, at some point, this girl is going to go, you know, to the prom or going to go to, you know, the dance or something. And then as you write a few issues, you realize, no, this is a girl who, who wouldn't do that, who would feel uncomfortable there or would have to be dragged there or would feel so out of place while she's there. And you only realize it by writing this, by going through the, the story. And it's, you know, that's the great fun for me as a writer is I don't know it all. I don't know everything that's going to happen. I trust the process that as I sit down, as I write this page, as I write this sentence, the story is going to come out. And the characters are going to come out and it's all going to make sense and it's going to be great because that's sort of what happens. I mean, I don't know if if you do the same thing. I'm, I'm currently writing a script and it happens every single time when I start writing a script. It is the single worst script that anyone has ever written in the history of mankind. And it's only as you write more and as you edit and you start peeling things back and you figure out the connections that the story becomes, you know, maybe not the worst story that anyone has ever written. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to go take a deep dive into some writing stuff here. Cause you, you brought up some interesting things, you know, uh, and this series that uh, I'm starting now, it's called forgotten hymns. And it's a, a Lovecraft series, like uh, Lovecraft theme series. There's some themes in it. And, uh, I wrote an entire first issue, started writing the second issue, and I got about 16 pages of a 22-page uh, comic of the second issue. And I realized that everything that I've done in issue up to this point in issue one, I had to redo. So I went all the way back and wrote from the ground up another issue one. And then I rewrote it, I think, a couple more times, and it's going to be the issue uh, that's going to be coming out. And it's just what's what's – 
really interesting. And um, it, Stephen King kind of talks about this, and a, a, and a bunch of different writers talk about it in a bunch of different ways. There's kind of like two kind of camps. There's the Stephen King camp, which is uh, he kind of figures it out. He calls it uh, the stories like um, archaeology. You just start going and then you find it as you dig, right? It's, it's there. You just got to find it. And then there's the other camp, which is like I call the architect camp, which is like the blueprint. I'm going to outline. I'm going to figure every. I'm gonna you know figure everything out, and then uh, um, and then then I'm going to script. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure every. Uh, I'm gonna look at everything. I'm gonna pretty much make a blueprint, and then I'm kind of in between that. I kind of have a rough outline that's uh, very vague. It's kind of you know my where I want to go and then I just get in there and sometimes where I want to go is where I want to go and sometimes I go off in a different direction so is that uh, where do you kind of fall in that spectrum yeah I sort of do both so in my in some issues I will write a whole outline to know exactly what happens when it happens like on the crossover you know especially working with another writer I outlined that thing like crazy to make sure that he knew exactly where I was going, that I knew exactly where I was going. And then just sitting down to write it, it was so easy to write. And then sometimes I just go stream of consciousness. I just start writing and it'll be a little bit of dialogue. It'll be a little bit of, you know, direction. This person does that. Then this happens. Then that happens. Sometimes it'll be, you know, like a whole page because I'll, I'll see this one page in my head. And I'll be like, oh, I got to I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and write that now. And I'm going to write to it, you know, later on. Um, I got to I got I, I to say, I, I wish I was a better outliner. I wish I would do that more. But too many times I don't know where the story is going. And I find that if I just sit down and start writing it narratively, you know, from the beginning as I see it to the end, by the time I get to the end, I can go back. And it's kind of like you in that, that first issue. You know, sometimes my best scripts are the ones that I've rewritten four times, you know, where I write it narratively. Okay, I understand what it is. Now I go ahead and start writing the script and I make all the changes that I need to change from that, that sort of stream of consciousness. And then, you know, I'll send it to Ryan and he'll have changes and then I'll go ahead and rewrite it, you know, figuring out what needs to be new. And then the fourth time is actually a, because I do the lettering on the book, it makes it so much easier to do rewrites because at that point I'm rewriting dialogue and I'm reworking it and I'm reworking it against what Ryan has done for the art. And most of the time, I'm taking dialogue out because I don't need it because Ryan has shown it so well with the art that I just I don't need to explain all the things that I thought I needed to. And then sometimes the the art isn't working the way I thought it was going to. And it's nothing that Ryan did. It had to do with what panels I told him to draw. Like I needed one in between to show something like I needed to show a progression of one, two, three. And instead I had him draw one and three and I forgot to have him draw two. So I need to to tweak that in the dialogue and add that in. So really by doing the lettering, it gives me a chance to sort of do one last round of rewrites on it. So yeah, no, I, I wish I did more outlining, but uh, I don't. Yeah. It's something that um, in my, my first in man of sin, I did a, a ton about, I mean, that thing was like the, the blueprint to oceans 11, man. Like I had that thing. I had that. I knew that thing upside down 
left and right. And it's kind of a complicated book in that manner too, because it's messing with time. We're doing flashbacks and flash forwards. Like just thinking about uh, the artist on that Camilo Ponce, the fact that he had to figure that out, like, oh, now we're in the pet. Like I I made it so it was easy for him to figure out. Um, But it was just a lot, a lot of time stuff to juggle. Um, This one, I, um, I've done a lot less of that. And I'm I'm finding um, I'm relying more on the characters, but it's much it's a it's a much different kind of style of a of a book as well. So I'm kind of I'm still outlining, um, but not as heavy, and I'm just kind of getting in there and and writing. And that's probably why I got two issues in before I realized I needed to do something else. Well, and let's go back, if you don't mind, to to something you were talking about before, which was the role of collaborators. You know, because it's kind of unique to comics. I mean, I'm sure they do it in movies, but movies you probably are dealing with like 7,000 collaborators, you know, as opposed to comics, which is really, it really comes down to two people to start off with, you know, your writer and, and your initial artist, whether it's the penciler or whether they're doing all the art or whatever it is. And, you know, when I did my first comic that, you know, I I never released and never really showed to anybody. I thought I had to be like Alan Moore. I thought I had to write this perfect script and then hand it over to the artist and the artist had to abide by my vision and it was going to be perfect. And I quickly, quickly realized that that makes it really hard for your collaborator to bring anything to the table. And so what I, what I did and what I do consciously now, or I try to is I talk to, the artist about what did they want to do? You know, what do you want to draw? And I will somehow try to work it into an issue. And what do you, who, which characters do you want to deal with? And what do you think the characters should be doing? And, you know, are there any monsters you want to deal with? And, you know, are there any things that you want to see or, you know, and just listen to their ideas for a bit and see where they go. Cause a lot of times their ideas are really interesting. And between their ideas and your ideas, you'll find a really good story and that you want to write and that they want to draw. And if they're invested in it and you're invested in it, again, this is just my personal experience, but I found that it makes such a better product at the end that I'm really proud of because it's not just mine. You know, if you want to be a writer and you want to have sole control over something, there's books. You know, if you want to be someone who works with someone else, with an artist and let them have a say in it too, well, that's why it's a collaboration. That's why it's comics for me. Yeah, I, uh, I wish you could see me. Uh, I, I've just been nodding my head. I agree with everything you just said. You know, um, there is one point, you know, by by issue three of Man of Sin, um, I was just pretty much talking in shorthand uh, to Camilo in my scripts. Like it was, we we developed a, a jargon. He knew exactly where um, I wanted to go, what I, you know, what I was doing. Um, and our scripts really evolved from that first script, like very much like you said, like uh, it was very, uh, you know, very controlling, if you will, like this, everything was, you know, exactly where it needed to be and all that stuff. And by, you know, the end of it, it was almost like it, it was still panel by panel, but it was very, very loose. And there was a lot of times in the script I would I would literally write Camilo, however you want to do this, go for it. Here's here's what we're here's what we're going for do you man and he would just come just blow me away but that was because he was invested he wanted to do it you know he he believed in the project and um you know it's, it's something that i'm finding uh with 
uh, uh, artist I'm working on uh, with this project, uh, Isaac Perez, he has a lot of input, not only in the story, but the art direction. But one thing I, I asked him up front, kind of, how do you want your scripts? I, I, I could do it however you want. He's like, I want it panel by panel. You know, I want it. I want to see what you're, what's going on in your head. And if I'm going to rearrange it, I'll let you know. And then we can have that discussion. But I kind of want to see, I want to see the blueprint to see what you are thinking about. And then if it works for the story or works or doesn't work, then I'll, 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 you know, I'll work it out with you. And it's been really interesting kind of to see where he goes with this stuff and some of the, um, some of the storytelling uh, directions that he goes and, and some of the choices that he makes. And it, uh, one thing that w when you talked about the lettering, it gives you another chance to edit. I do that all the time. When I get the pages back, I go back to my go back to my script, and I I, I kind of in my head look at look at where because I'm not a letterer because I've tried it and I, I suck at it. But uh, but uh, man, it was it was so brutal. I got like this is like a sidebar. Like you're, I was doing everything you were telling me, and I, I had it up there, and it was just like looking like crap. And then I was getting frustrated because the like sample thing you gave me. You like did a page and then you read the same page the way you did like on your own. And I was like, damn it, it is not coming out this good. So, <laughs> and I was like, it was one of those choices where like, all right, it was, you know, I, I talk, you know, I, I have this thing where it's like, all right, what do I want to accomplish? And is this in alignment with what I want to accomplish? And being a letterer was just something that wasn't in alignment with what I was trying to accomplish. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to have to give this up for now. Maybe someday I'll get to it. But uh, when I, when I get the art back, I definitely um, go back and I look at the dialogue and I see how it flows and I see if it, uh, if it's going to work with what's going on in the panel. Sometimes, like you said, the action takes everything that I, that I was trying to convey out of it, which is kudos to the, to the uh, artist that you're working with, that they're able to convey that. Right. Right. And, you know, I, let me touch on one of the things you were talking about there, because I think you made the right call, like not because I saw your lettering and you suck, but because doing comics and and I don't want to make it sound like I'm going to make it sound like, but, you know, doing comics is hard work. You know, it's you don't think it when you get into it. You think, OK, how hard can it be? You're writing a story. You're sending it to an artist. The artist is spending, you know, 40 hours a week on it and you're spending, you know, what, three hours on it. And, you know, you're not doing the hard work. And that's unfortunately not really true anymore when you're doing indie comics. You know, when you're doing indie comics, you write the story, you turn it over to the artist. Then you are dealing with the artist back and forth, you know, making sure that, that they understand the script and if they want any changes that you make the changes for them. Then it comes back and you're rewriting, you know, for whatever reasons and, you know, either you're getting it ready for the letter or you're doing the lettering yourself and, you know, you're doing a lot of times you're doing the graphic design work yourself. So you're putting on the logo, you're doing the credits page, you're doing any back material. That's now you've got an actual comic in your computer. Now you have to get it printed. So you send it to the printer. Well, the printer doesn't like your files. So now you have to edit your files to make sure they're right. And then you got to go through the whole process of, okay, well, in order to print a hundred of these, you're going to need, you know, five, six hundred dollars. Well, now I have to go kickstart my comic. So let me go ahead and do that. So now I have to get some images for that. I got to get some text for that. I got to figure out what I'm going to do for that. So it probably takes me another good 10, 20 hours to set up, you know, my Kickstarter page. And now I'm going to launch it. But wait, I can't launch it yet because now I have to do 
social media marketing for my comic to go ahead and make sure that people know that it exists so that they can kickstart it so that I can get the money so that I can actually print these issues. So now I'm out there on social media, you know, not just marketing my comic, but having comics conversations about indie comics in general, because that's frankly more interesting than talking about my comic by now, because I'm sick of my comic by now. So now I'm doing social media marketing. I'm having conversations about this. Oh, Okay, so now I've finally got some kind of audience. Let me go ahead and start the Kickstarter. Well, okay, but now what about stretch goals? Oh, well, crap. Now I got to do stretch goals and I got to continue my social media marketing and I got to start getting everything ready so that I can make my bookmarks and I can make my postcards and I can make my prints and I can make my trading cards. And the next thing you know, this fun thing of making a comic has become your second job. And again, I don't want to say that as though poor me, I'm. I'm I'm making a comic and it's terrible and horrible. It's just, it's a lot more than you expect. And you have to put on a lot of different hats, which is fine because I enjoy that. But when people say that they don't want to do lettering, I'm like, okay, well, I can't blame you. That's one less hat you have to wear. Now you only have to wear, you know, 14 hats instead of 15 hats. You know, so I, I don't blame you there. Uh, in talking to a lot of indie comic creators, the thing that I always tell them is to pace themselves because so many people burn themselves out through a, you know, one issue or three issues or five issues or whatever. And then they just don't want to do it anymore because they're so burned out. And I, I see it happen all the time. And, you know, anything that you can do to sort of make things easier for yourself, I, I strongly encourage you to do. That is, I mean, you have to nail the, the, indie comic scene right now to a T. I mean, when I first, when I first started, I just thought I would make this comic and, you know, it would just, you know, it, it would just appear. I don't know. I was, I was, I wasn't, I, I was naive, I guess. Well, oh, yeah, you'd, you'd make it, you'd send it off. Someone would realize the genius of it and they would publish it for you. Yeah. You know, uh, not naive, you know, thinking that was what, that's what I thought it was, right? Like, Hey, this idea is awesome. The art, yeah, the, the idea is awesome. No, no, yeah, the, the idea is awesome. You hit it, right? The idea is awesome. You're going to send it out to the publishers because it's got great art, and people are going to see, you know, that, that you're awesome. Everyone's awesome, like the Lego movie, and then all of a sudden you realize that's not the reality, right? That maybe happens to like 0.001% of creators. So if you actually want to make this, if you actually want to believe in it, you got to put in the hard work. And that hard work consists of doing things that if you're just the writer and you just want to create a comic book, things that you probably don't have skills in. And so like learning how to market a book are skills that I didn't have before, but I had to learn on the fly. You just kind of pick it up and you, there are great communities out there and there's, you know, Everyone that I've met really in indie comics have been so nice to me and, and so so willing to to share their information. And uh, it's just been an awesome community to be a part of. Um, but it's a reality that I think when people are first thinking about doing it, before they've crossed that kind of threshold, I don't think that's a reality because you gotta you got to learn how to be a printer. Like you said, I remember sending my files to the printer and the printer was like, I don't even know what you sent me. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what, I don't understand the words you're typing back to me. So 
I need to get on the phone with you because I don't understand what you don't understand. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, and it's, and then, and then, you know, then it's fulfillment, right? Like no one talks to you about shipping, uh, you know, the, you know, there's, there's shipping and then there's international shipping and then there's, you know, when, when prices go up and it's all of these things wrapped into it, you're almost nowadays it's great because if you want to do it, you could just do it. Right. But the just doing it part has a lot of different hats you need to learn to wear and you essentially become your own little mini publisher which is really interesting thing yeah yeah and that's something and there's one more part of that that we didn't talk about which is and i and i not going to name anybody you know because i'm going to talk about my experience which is you have written this comic you have found an artist you've turned in to something that you think people are going to like, you know, you, you've made this book and you think people are going to like it. And now you realize that you have to market it. And I think that's when you talk about the threshold, I think that's the threshold for a lot of people being, you know, for lack of a better word, being a, a comics geek, a lot of us are really, um, we were social distancing before COVID, you know, for the fun of it because we just didn't like talking to people and dealing with people. And so getting out there and marketing your book and selling your book and it just – it's really hard for a lot of people. And again, I'm, I I think – a lot of comic creators have to go through this and and I I had to go through it too which is to say okay I don't like being on social media every day I don't like hawking my book every day I don't want to talk about my book every day but I'm going to do it because the difference between having a comic and not having a comic is to do things that are uncomfortable and this is going to be the uncomfortable thing is I'm going to have to go out and market my book and I'm going to have to figure out shipping costs and figure out international shipping costs and all these other things that I wasn't prepared to do. But the difference between having a book and not having a book is doing things that you're going to be uncomfortable with. And I know so many comic creators who don't want to do those things and they don't put their comic out there and they're usually brilliant comics and they're not being read by as many people as I wish they were being read by because they don't want to market them. And I understand that. I, I, I really, really do. It's just when I had that conversation with myself about, am I going to do this or am I not going to do it? I thought about how long I had wanted to do a comic and how much of myself I had invested in doing this comic. I will do whatever it takes to get it out there. If it means having to be on social media, I'll be on social media. If it means having to spend, you know, hours at the post office talking to this poor clerk about why this thing is not a package and is actually a large envelope. So it should be much cheaper, you know, to the point where she's screaming at me, you know, that's something that I'm going to do. And, and I don't know, has, was that your experience? You know, did you have to, what was your cross that threshold experience for you? Uh, I think I, I, I just dove into the deep end. Uh, I, everything that you, you said, I, I relate to, and I think it's a hundred percent, um, accurate. You know, for me, I had this idea in my head for Man of Sin for, for a very long time. I, 
I did a couple of short comics that were in uh, some anthologies. So I had, you know, a couple of things that were in print already, but I didn't do anything on my own. I didn't do anything as, as big as, you know, uh, uh, a complete issue or a complete series. So I just had a couple, you know, a three pager here, you know, a couple pager here or there. Um, so I felt pretty confident in my ability to make comics. Um, so when I went out on my own and I sent it out to, um, to a bunch of publishers, I, everyone rejected me. Everyone said no, um, which was fine. It didn't really deter me. Um, but what happened was I got actually a rejection letter back with an actual personal note. Um, and it was, um, the other top shelf and he goes, you know, I, I love the art. This has a lot of merit, but it's just not from top shelf. Why don't you take this thing to Kickstarter? I think you'll find a lot of success. And at the time, I had no idea what Kickstarter was. And so I just looked into it. I kind of immersed myself in everything that I could learn at the time, what was out there that was like 2015. Um, and I uh, kickstarted the first issue and then just kind of on a, like, just put it out there, not really having a lot of backing or, or, or I had a zero audience and we ended up actually, you know, succeeding and having and funding. But in doing that, like just putting it out there, I realized there were so much things that I needed to figure out, such as marketing, being on social media, reaching out to people, building an audience, um, putting a Kickstarter page together, learning how to make, you know, graphics for the Kickstarter page, learning how to make graphics for your book. Like I, I had the pages and the cover, but I had no idea how to put it together. Like all of these these little things that I didn't know you had to do, I had to figure out because I had a book coming out that like as soon as I put it on Kickstarter and people were I saw people wanted it and that people were expecting me to deliver a book, that's when things became real for me and I had to figure out how to do all the things that I didn't know that I needed to do and I necessarily didn't even want to do. But kind of had to do. Uh, here we go. Okay, so you had just done your first Kickstarter, and you had gotten your funding. You'd reached your, beyond your goal, and you're making this comic. And if you don't mind me talking about this, because I, I never, ever get to talk about this, is, you know, after that first Kickstarter, and now you have this money to go make your thing, and you think you had any idea what you were doing, and you quickly realized that you did not. You had no idea what you were doing. Um, and it's so interesting to me because then you have to – you've already found your printer, but now you have to send them the files if you haven't already. And you now have to figure out, okay, do I want glossy pages or do I want matte pages? Do I want this kind of cover or do I want that kind of cover? And you think you have all this money and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to go on a spending spree. And then you quickly realize this money's not going to go very far. Um, and you know, the shipping, like, oh my God, the shipping, like, I thought I knew what I was doing in terms of shipping and I didn't, I, I sent out, I want to say 200 packages on like a Monday and Tuesday and on a Wednesday I had 150 of them sitting on my porch because I didn't put enough postage on them. Like oh, that wow. was, and I had accounted for that postage only that far. So like now when they said they need $3 each on every single one, it's like, oh crap. Um, you know, and it's the, the thing that I will always, always, always be grateful for 
especially with the Kickstarter audience and the Kickstarter crowd and the Kickstarter backers is almost always they're very, very, very understanding that you're a new creator, that you don't know what you're doing, that it might take extra time, that it might not be exactly as you thought it was going to be. And like, I don't understand these people sometimes because they have the patience of a saint. Like I would be tearing my hair out if I hadn't gotten my comic in two months, but they're like, oh yeah, you know, some, some Kickstarters take longer. And I'm like, I I don't have a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize, but if I did, I would give it to you um, because I am been killing myself trying to figure out postage and this and printers. And like I, I found a printer and they were supposed to print. And now I find out that it takes them a month to print this thing. Like, why does it take you a month to print a comic book? It's only 500 issues. It should take you about three hours on your press and then maybe another hour on your binder. What's going on here? And you know, you find out all these things after your first Kickstarter, your second Kickstarter, and it's kind of like writing the comic. You quickly realize what your strengths are, what your what your not strengths are, like talking, um, and just figuring out how to go and and what's going to be successful and what's not going to be successful. And, you know, after that first one, we changed publishers, you know, we were doing, I'm not going to name them, but somebody, and then we switched to comic wellspring because they were, they had such a faster turnaround time, which I didn't even know was a thing that I needed. Um, you know, so I'm kind of curious, like after that first Kickstarter of yours, what were sort of the pressure points for you where you were, where you had to learn, like where, Really, I'm just asking, you know, where the where'd you screw up the most? Uh, all of, all the, of above. the above. <laughs> um, the 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 main thing that I I really struggled with right after the first Kickstarter was I had no idea about um, not the shipping costs, but how to package things and ship them correctly without things being damaged. Um, I just I went just to went the, the post office, office. with. Uh-huh. Like, like, I was like, I was like, all right, here's right, what I need to ship. ship. What do what I ship this in? And they were and like, like uh, uh, that, that thing right there. there. And, and I was like, okay. okay. So, so I, I, bought I bought a bunch of those things, things and whatever, whatever they, were, they were. And I shipped, and I shipped it out. out. And then and I had, I had a, a couple backers like, hey, my thing got ruined because it was a crap shipping thing that the person at the post office, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't know what it was. He's like, yeah, yeah that, that would ship the poster. Right. He doesn't <laughs> care where, where they're going to get there. And so, like, I, then, I then I had, had to, go to go and obviously replace, replace that, that because that's, you know, the right thing to do. But then they're, you know, figuring out, like, oh, like, there's things called Gemini Mimers that you can mail your comics in. You know, and then different things like that that add, that are, like, hidden costs that you don't necessarily... Uh, when uh, you when first do a Kickstarter, you, you don't necessarily don't factor in, or don't even think to factor in. And then after you, you do one, you're like, okay, like, like I'm going to need like X amount of mailers, X amount of those, X amount of postage. If it's going to go international, I got to, you know, figure that out because that's a whole other thing. And like, also like figuring out your day when you're like, like, like the first time I went through, I just went to the post office. I just went there. And gave them all of my stuff. And the person behind the counter looked like they wanted to murder me. The people behind me wanted to murder me. And I just was sitting there sweating, like, like hoping no one makes eye contact with me. 
And then uh, the second time I got my, um, I did it online. I got like a thermal scanner and I, I, I weighed it all out. And I kind of like like immediately jumped levels because the great great thing about the internet is you can find anything that you need to know right. out, but you need to know what you need don't know. Right. Um, like I had no idea that those were that was a thing. Um, so that that took a while. Um, the the correct page sizing. For a comic, I didn't know like how to set up files the right way. Yeah. So that I was really lucky. The the first time we did the comic, I didn't realize this. But the dimensions I had it in is like a different size. So we had somewhat of a bigger size comic. If that makes sense, like the dimensions are like maybe like an inch or two too big or too wide. And I had no idea because I was setting it up however I set it up. And it wasn't the right way. It wasn't the standard we had today. I think it was like a golden age or like something that they no longer print anymore. Like slightly smaller than, you know, a newspaper. Not that bad. And I was like, well, and I, I could see the, the, my, my exact thought process, process on the first one. I was like, well, well I could see I the images clearly here. here. It's got to be right. <laughs> so like, here you go. Uh, so, I, I, uh, so the first printer, the first I, went printer with, I went with, um, they were just like, okay, like, these okay, are your dimensions. dimensions. Print it. And it was, and it was a lot more expensive than I originally thought. Because of that. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, crazy expensive, but definitely more expensive. And then... When I went when to, I went go to do, it do it again, again um, I went with a different printer because we were going to have a, a much bigger print run. And yep. so I needed, to, I needed to have a different printer for that. Yep. And uh, I realized immediately that they're like, yeah, this isn't, this is going to cost you exponentially more. And I realized, like, oh, this is wrong. This isn't what I want. Right. Um, but they were, but they were, the, the printer was really nice and worked with me. Oh, yeah. With that. And, um, like, like, I had, I had to learn, to learn InDesign, InDesign because, because of that. that. Mm-hmm. Like, like I had to I had figure, figure that out, that which was something I didn't know I needed. I needed. And right. it was, uh, it's, it's just it's been, been really, really interesting to find all these different, different little things, things that, that um, you need to do, that you don't necessarily A, want to do, or know that you need to do. Right. One thing, one thing that, you know, I've been, I've doing, been a doing a lot better, better the last year or so that I didn't do was like, like um, contact my email list on a regular basis. Yeah. Keep them engaged and trying to make contact or content for them. And this is one of the things that, you know, I thought I could do that's a lot easier than, you know, sitting in front of the computer and writing, you know, a thousand words no one's going to read when I send them an email. Right. So, like just, like just little, little things, things like that, that um, like like you're your own publicist, you're your own, own uh, you know sales manager, and figuring out kind of what works and what doesn't work for you in your in your, your product, product um, has, has been, been something really interesting, interesting to me. To me. Um, right. And like, and like uh, one thing one you know thing that I found with with Man of Sin, I wonder if you found this with Miskatonic, was like like trying to find like like. Who initially, who initially I thought this book was for, or who mm-hmm. I thought liked it, liked it 
sort of the case, but a lot of people that I didn't think would be into it ended up being into it, which I thought was really interesting. So how is that kind of finding your audience? And, you know, you've, you've done so many Kickstarters. You said 10, I believe, right? Yeah, I think that's right. So um, you said, like, how, was that, how, how has your audience grown? How has it shifted? Like, how have you been able to kind of, um, and each one just gets a little bit bigger. Right. Uh, kind of how has that whole process been for you? Right. So let's let's take part of that first, which is who's your audience? So when I was getting ready to market the first one, I was like, I don't think anybody's going to like this comic. You know, okay, it's too niche. It's like there's horror, there's Lovecraft horror, but it's kind of comedy, so the Lovecraft people won't like it. There's teenage horror comedy, like there's probably like four people who are going to read this comic. And so when we did our initial Kickstarter, I'm not kidding. I thought, you know, if we did poorly, we were going to get 15 people. And if we did well, we were going to get like 50 people. You know, that was my expectation going in. And on that first one, 400 people showed up. And it was like, okay, I I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, and so, you know, as you do it and as you start talking to the people who are backing you and reading you and you get to know the people who keep coming back and you develop, you know, relationships with them because, you know, I talk to them on a regular basis and they tell me what they like and what they don't like and where they think the story's going, where they don't think the story's going. And they go off in a million different tangents. And that part of it is probably my favorite part is dealing with people who just like the story or like the world or like supporting indie comics. You know, those are wonderful people. And you know, uh, one of the things that I was told was somebody's like, oh, yeah, I, I keep buying this for my 10-year-old. I was like, you're buying a horror comic for your 10-year-old? And then I took another look at my comic and I was like, yeah, I, I can see this being a comic that younger audiences would like you know we don't go too far with the horror we don't go too far with the gore we don't go too far with you know sexually explicit stuff it's really kind of an all-ages comic and that's something that didn't occur to me until you know we were several issues in is like yeah this is a comic that's perfectly okay for you know kids of a certain age and older and a lot of them like it and I have people who tell me all the time that they get it and they read it and then they give it to their kid and the kid reads it and they actually have a conversation which you know with if anybody who has kids who are you know 10 or older knows that getting to have a conversation with your kid is kind of rare so that's kind of awesome to me you know to find this and you know the other thing that I keep finding is I'm amazed at how many international backers show up like international shipping you quickly realize is very, very expensive. And yet people are coming and they want to support the comic. You know, they feel that it's important to support the comic. And I, and I love them for that. Um, you know, and so it's going to places like Australia and New Zealand and Finland and Norway and, you know, Brazil. And we just sent some to Japan, you know, uh, England. We send out a lot of them to like, Germany and Norway and you know the Scandinavian countries which is awesome because apparently they really like horror and they really like sarcastic humor which you know that is our comic in a nutshell so you know you you don't know who your audience is until you really do it and then if 
it it really comes back to that thing that you were talking about about figuring out how to market your comic and when i talk to creators who are going to start or want to start or want to have success or whatever it is the thing that i tell them is your marketing has to match your comic you know don't make your comic out to be an action fest if it's not going to be an action fest if your comic is funny make sure your marketing is funny if you're if you are about horror make sure that your social media feels like it's full of horror like it's coming from someplace scary you know you are trying to convince an audience to come and buy your comic to partake of your story make sure that they have a good idea of what they're going to get before they do and and so that's something that that is really important to me that I didn't know was going to be was that in my marketing I tried to convey what the comic is so that sort of horror comedy tone that's enjoyable and fun and it's going to be a fun comic and it's not going to be a drag and so that's really what I go for and you know with uh, let me put it this way I'm I'm uncomfortable talking about the comic as though it's it's a success because to me it's only successful if I'm doing another issue. It's only successful if I'm getting to write another issue. It's only successful if I'm getting to continue to do these things. And I don't take that for granted. Like I don't expect the audience to necessarily stay if they're unhappy with what they see. So I have to write each issue as, as though it's the best issue that I can do because I want them to like what they're, what they're getting and want to come back and get more of it. But the thing that I found is audiences want you to stay in their mind. And I mean that in two ways, both the story, like be a good story, be an interesting story, be a fun story, be something that they like, that they want to reread, but then also have a regular presence, be out there. We're out there every two months. We're doing a Kickstarter on the next issue because we work so far in advance. And I think they like knowing that we're out there, that they're, we're going to be dependable because in indie comics, comics disappear all the time. They're just, they're here one day and they're gone the next because whatever happened. And we don't want to be that. We want to be dependable. We want to be timely. We want to be regular. So we're putting a comic out every two months. It's going to take us a month to fulfill it. And we do it every two months is we fulfill that comic and you know that it's going to be in the mailbox because the last one and the one before that and the one before that has. And if we say we're going to do something, we do it. And like you said, if something comes damaged, we're going to replace it. All you need to do is tell us if something isn't the way that you want it to be. Let me know. You know, I'm, I'm going crazy most times during fulfillment. So I miss things. Just let me know. And I will make it better because the, the, the people who, have supported this comic and have allowed us to make this comic. You know, I, I talked before about how important it was for me to do this comic. Backers, your readers are the people who make it so that you can do those things. I, I can't possibly thank them enough for letting me do this on a regular bi-monthly basis. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of speechless when I think about it because they're just... They really did this. I, I don't know. What's been your experience with your with your readers and your backers? I um I've had a very similar experience. I you know, when I started uh, it, it really got surreal 
when I started sending uh, sending books to like um, Japan, like you said, and internationally to places that I didn't even know would um, would want to read my stuff. And um, one, you know, nothing has made me happier than uh, to someone message me on Kickstarter or find me on Facebook or social media media and, and shoot me a message saying, man, I just, I really like this book, this book, you know, whatever it was, you know, someone sent me a video of uh, them doing an unboxing on YouTube of something that I sent them. And, uh, you know, like they're making content from the content that I made. Um, and then just them being, um, you know, uh, blown away because we put so much time and effort into not only the packaging, but what we put in there. And, you know, if it wasn't for them, like you said, we wouldn't have been able to do that. And so um, my experience with all of my backers has been absolutely positive. They've been nothing but supportive and understanding. You know, when uh, Madison came out, um, it, it took us a lot longer to finish it than we initially thought because Camilo was a, a one-stop shop. He was uh, you know, penciling, inkling, uh, inking, excuse me, and then watercoloring every single oh, issue by hand. by hand. Like that is that a is time, time and, and labor-intensive, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, part, part of it. And it, it, it took a lot longer uh, than uh, we than thought. thought. And, and I kept I all kept the backers updated. I gave them, you know, you know, everything that, that I possibly could, and they were nothing but supportive. And then once they got the book, the reaction for it has been, you know, just just amazing. Like I myself, you know, just like you, I'm blown away by it, and it's just something that. I think, I think really, really cool, cool that something like, like Kickstarter exists that we're able to do something like that. What was it like? You mentioned, you know, you, you thought you were only going to have 50 backers. What was it like to get those 400 backers on that first issue? And what do you think, if you could like pinpoint kind of where that initial success came from, what would it be? You know... So the experience of actually having a successful Kickstarter, you know, well beyond what you thought it was going to be. I don't know. You know, it, it's they say it's 30 days, but your first Kickstarter feels like it was 10 minutes. You know, it just it goes so fast and you're sitting there, you're watching it every second and it just, you know, you feel it. And, you know, it's just it's truly amazing to go through that. And it's, it's a great experience. And, you know, to touch on one of the things you talked about before, you know, I don't, I don't know if your experience was like mine or like other creators that I've talked to, but you don't always get a lot of feedback from people about the comic. You know, maybe you'll get a few things here and there that say, Oh yeah, great issue. I loved it. Or, you know, this is going to the top of my to read list or, um, you know, something like that. But when you do, when you get those little notes, they mean so much to you because of all the time and effort it takes you to make that comic that any little message like that, it, it just, it makes your day. Um, it has been my experience, you know? So when people say nice things or I get a nice review or whatever it is, it just, some of the stress rolls off for a little bit there. Um, but if I had to pinpoint what the cause of the success was, like for us, I think it was, we didn't judge, we didn't have a good idea of how many Lovecraft fans there are out there. 
and who would be willing to take a chance on Lovecraft with a real twist, you know, uh, that is really something different, which is what we were trying to do. And so I think, I think that, but also when we were getting ready, it was like November. And so I did a little research and they said, whatever you do, don't launch your Kickstarter in December. December is a terrible month for launching Kickstarters, apparently, and you can figure out reasons why. And so we said, okay, we'll put it off till January and I'll take the entire month of December and I'll just do a daily post on social media. I'll do it on Instagram, I'll do it on Twitter, and I'll do it on Facebook. And so I did it every day and I showed Ryan's art every day and... People, you know, especially on Instagram at the time, people responded to the art. They really liked the art. They started following it. They started getting interested. And so, you know, once I had a link for Kickstarter, they they had already wanted to check it out. So, you know, when I talked to creators who want to do Kickstarters and have success, I always tell them to slow down and make sure that they're doing that work beforehand of getting it out there, of really, you know, creating an audience for it, you know, through social media, putting it out to reviewers, you know, having any conversation you can about the book, doing whatever you can and do that for a while before you launch the book. Because you only really get one chance at a first Kickstarter to really have a, a good first impression. So why not take a little extra time and make sure that you're doing what you can to to get it out there beforehand? Um, so I, I think between those two things, you know, we underestimated how, how successful those two things would be. And then we had people show up. And when they got the comic, you know, I guess they must have liked it because they came back for another one. And then they came back for the next one. And next thing you know, like, I can go through my list and I can see, oh, yeah, that person's still here. That person's still here. Yeah, that person's still here. You know, it's there are new people buying the comic every time, but there's a lot of people who are invested in the comic now. And, you know, God love them. I, I wish I could make more of them. Yeah, I think yeah, you guys do a great, great job of serializing uh, 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 Mr. Panakai. And I, 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 think, I think, you know, there's one thing I did want to talk to you about, and I'm glad you kind of touched on it a little bit with Lovecraft. What, you know, have you always been a fan of Lovecraft? Have you. You know, you know, we're, we're, we're how did how, you know Lovecraft you know, and the, 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 the Breakfast Club kind of intersect for you when when, when Miskatonic High was in its inception? Sure. So I came late to like horror and especially to Lovecraft. Um, I found him through reading Alan Moore. He did a couple of uh, Lovecraft comics, um, Providence and uh, Necronomicon and um, some others. And so I found him that way and, and really kind of got interested in him through that. And the thing that I really liked about Lovecraft was not always the writing and not always the characters, but I liked this concept of horror that like I liken it to Jaws, like the monsters in Lovecraft, they don't see people as people. They're not interested in good and bad and hell and heaven and all of that. They just see you as food or as peons or as ants or as microbes or whatever, whatever humanity is. And they don't really care about you or what you do. They have their own thing going on. And, you know, usually it's some cosmic thing that if you understood would drive you insane. Um, so I got interested in, in it for that. And so Ryan and I had been doing some fan fiction for a while and 
we kind of got sick of that. We kind of got sick of doing a comic that no one was going to read and that we couldn't print and we couldn't own. So we were kicking around the idea of doing our own comic and, you know, I suggested superheroes. He suggested something else. And we quickly decided on he's, he's the bigger Lovecraft fan between us and he really wanted to do something. And what I wanted to do was, I wanted to do the high school side of it. Like I thought high school kids would be fun characters to write. And so at one point Ryan said, Hey, you know what I really want to do is like, I want to do Miskatonic university, but like younger, like a, like a, like a, like Miskatonic high school. And I was like, yes, that is it right there. That's what I want to do. I want to do Miskatonic high. And he said, yeah, it'll, and we started talking, we started talking about bringing in, you know, different character stereotype that we would then deal with and explore deeper. And so at one point he said, yeah, so it's like the breakfast club in hell. And we're like, yep, that's, that's, you know, that's exactly what we are right there. Um, and one of the things that, that really appealed to me when he said Miskatonic high was Lovecraft was a new England kid. Or, you know, he's from New England. He was a New England guy. That's where he lived. He lived in New York for a little time and hated it and went back to New England, as all good people should. And I'm from New England. And so I recognized a lot of the places he was writing about under different names. And he used Miskatonic for Miskatonic University. And Miskatonic, he most likely took from Housatonic, which is a river out in western Massachusetts where I used to live. And so I said, yes, not only will it be Lovecraft and horror and high school, it'll be about a place that I lived in and I find interesting. And so I can bring that part of it into it, too, because Western Massachusetts is where like all the hippies went. You know, when Nixon was in power, when they all went to Massachusetts, they all lived in Western Massachusetts. And so it's like this weird mixture of a really rural population, a rural a part of it that's like these hippie leftovers and then these, you know, swank yuppie New Yorkers who want to get out from the city and go to the Berkshires. And so it's this really weird mix of people living in this place. And I thought, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So that's, that's how I sort of came at it. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I love your description, love your description of, of Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Um, the best way the I best describe, way describe, describe it, describe I've been familiar I've been with Lovecraft, Lovecraft since I was a kid. It was my kid. mother's my favorite, mother's author. favorite author. And like, oh, nice. And like, for, for whatever reason, whatever reason there was like, there was like, like a third or fourth grade, grade we had to do like a book report on something. And my mom read me the curious case of Charles Dexter Ward of all things. Because I, I couldn't get through the vocabulary. Like I couldn't read it. I couldn't read it. Lovecraft is so dense, but so she read it to me. And I just like, I wish I could go back to like third grade, that third grade book report. And just the look on everyone's face including the teacher as I try to explain the curious case of Charles Dixon Ward to a bunch of third graders, which, you know, kudos to my mom that, you know, that's what she was like, oh, yeah, you'll love this. And I did. That was, that was, I didn't even understand what was like going on. I was just like, yeah, and then this happened, and then this happened, you know, whatever, however third graders did book report. Yeah. And then I, I, I probably, I probably, 
I knew of him, obviously, but I never really seriously started reading his stuff, probably until he was in the late 20s. But I knew of him kind of peripherally. Like, you would see him in pop culture references and stuff. And what I find interesting, too, about Lovecraft is that I think more people know of him than they know of his work. Like, yeah. they know, like, of Cthulhu, because they see it all over. But I don't yeah. know, I don't know very, few very few people, I think, could tell me, tell like, me the, like, the plot, the plot of A Call to All Cthulhu, right? Or, right. Or, you know, people, I think, are more more like the, the, the monsters than the actual stories. And yeah. I think it's because what you said about the actual stories, like, they're not, they're not that great. Like, what what's really interesting about Lovecraft and the way, and the I, way try I try to describe him to people who've never read him, read him is he writes he like writes someone who's never read a book before. before. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's, like, it's probably he's true. Like, he's like, yeah, like, yeah, like, um, um, like he, like, he, he just, just, he's like, he's overly, like overly verbose, verbose and yeah. his, his character, it's, it's, his, his, it's really it's interesting. interesting. And, and what I think what people like about Lovecraft isn't really his writing. I don't know anyone who's like, like, Lovecraft, Lovecraft is my favorite author ever because, because his prose is amazing. Right. I think people, I think people like, like Lovecraft, Lovecraft because, because he created, he created this, like, this like really unique universe, universe like you said, that, mm-hmm. that I think it's the first ever like sandbox universe, universe where like where, all like, the stories when you read them kind of all interconnect. They all kind of work off of each other and it allows for you to play with it if you're a writer in a really cool and unique way to put your own spin on it like you and Ryan did. And you know, going to back to you know, you know, Miskatonic High, when I first stumbled on it, it's one of those ideas or concepts where like you're like why, Why hasn't this been done before? Like, right. this is the, 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 the smartest idea. idea. Like, like I, I was, it's like one of those ideas where, where it's like, like yeah, yeah, no, no, this makes this sense. sense. How did this How never happen before? before? Like, like and, it's, and, it's, 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 and you guys, you guys really, really make it work, make work too, man. I, I love what you guys are doing on it. Right. I got, I got an email from somebody just recently who was like, or maybe it was a review or something. I can't remember, but they were like, I really didn't think that, you know, the idea of, high school comedy and Lovecraft horror, like you would be able to milk it out for eight issues. And the, and, but they went, then went on to say is, but the thing is you found like a gold mine here of all these different things that you can play off of. And for, again, for me, it's that idea about high school being like big emotions and a lot, you know, whatever you're dealing with is the biggest thing that's ever happened to anybody in the world. And when you're, you know, dealing with things like that and dealing with like people who hate you and a universe that hates you and, you know, a high school that hates you, you know, and they don't want anything to do with you. And there's monsters everywhere you look. And that's just high school, you know, to mix in Lovecraft monsters on top of that. It just, you know, it felt like a perfect mix to me. And, you know, I'm, I feel again, it goes back to that thing that we were talking about before, which was. I didn't have a series before I started talking to Ryan. Like he didn't have a series before he started talking to me. We didn't know what we were going to do until we came to it together. And like this never would have been an idea I would have had myself. And I don't know if it was an idea that he ever would have had himself. But like only the two of us could have made this comic and can make this comic what it has become. 
Because I don't think anybody else in the world would have the interest of drawing what he wants to draw and writing what I want to write and somehow mashing it up into this Lovecraft horror comedy universe. It's just, you know, I I, <laughs> I got an email from somebody saying, you know, look, I, I, I was doing a horror story about kids in Tuluthu and I was like, you know, and I, I didn't want you to think that I had stolen your idea. I'm like, of course I don't think you stole my idea. I think this is great. That's the whole point of Lovecraft is that he opened up this sandbox to everybody. Anybody who wrote to him and said, look, I want to write a story about this. He's like, yeah, go ahead. That sounds great. Send it to me first because I want to read it. You know, and to to go back to what you said, I don't think it's just that – uh, what he wrote about and his monsters and his ideas, I think part of it is that he opened it up to so many different other writers who then influenced other writers, you know, who came on after him and found him through them. And I think he, he in in a kind of a way, he created his own audience by opening it up to these other people, by essentially saying, hey, Write whatever fan fiction you want. It's all good to me. Go ahead and publish it. And I think that was a really smart move on his part that he probably didn't know about that opened up this whole universe forever. You know, that that's part of the appeal, I think, to me. Yeah, yeah. I think he I think openly he did, that did that too with too, a couple of his things. Like I know he, uh, I think it's Robert Chambers and the Yellow King and Hatcher. He he yep. took he took um, um, took from them and, and from he did a couple did other ones. Um, other one, um, but I can't I can't pull out yeah. of the pull out of my I can't think of right now. But that's what Wikipedia is for. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what Wikipedia is for. You'll find it all later. Yeah. yeah, you know it's uh, yeah, you know it's uh, it's just it's, it's so it's so it's so interesting that it almost it feels almost like he was doing like like um, doing like, um uh, uh, like open source like before open source was a thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, right, it's just like all right, here's my here's my idea. Here's my idea. Whoever wants to play with it and make it better, go for it. Go for it. And I think and I think you know only looking back at it now because he wasn't announced popular when he was writing. I think only looking back at it and seeing kind of everything that's been built off of it, you can see like, wow, this was actually really pretty cool. And another thing that he he does when you read out his work, I think on Lovecraft, is there's almost like when you start reading a couple of the stories kind of like back to back, there's almost like some weird rhythm that it creates. I don't know how to explain it. But like the yeah. way he writes, he writes it. It. I had this argument with not an argument, but this discussion. Discussion with a with a literary friend of mine who's really into you know prose. And and their their take on Lovecraft was he intentionally wrote like that to because the person you know he wrote a lot in first person because the person was going crazy and therefore like that you couldn't write coherently and you you would you know write write you know, you differently. Know, differently. And all I, and I guess I'm saying it's correct, correct, but, but um, you know, you know it, it's just, it's just really interesting the kind of, the rhythm, rhythm, when you start, when you start a lot of it, right. And kind of back to back, it kind of takes, but it's definitely, it's definitely an acquired taste. It's not, it's not something, you know, you know, and some of his work is a lot further than others. Like, 
at the moment, like, 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 I want to say it's like the first, like, 30 pages. He's just, like, giving direction. Yes. And it's like, I don't understand why he's doing this. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I do agree with you that what makes it so great is the fact that so many people can play in this universe that, you know, he created. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's, I think you're exactly right. There's this weird rhythm and, you know, kudos to your friend for saying that it was intentionally done that way. Cause I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a weird rhythm. And the other thing that I have found from reading or listening to Lovecraft stories back to back to back to back is most of his titles stop meaning anything to me. Like what is the working fear? Like what is, um, you know, the, 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 I don't know, whatever the other one is, you know, it's like, I, I can't keep track of the titles, but if you tell me what happens in the story, I'm like, oh yes, I know exactly which one you're talking about. It's the one where somebody goes crazy at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, there's a definite rhythm there and it's, there's a definite thing. And the thing that kind of drives me crazy when I read his is like you're reading about these people going crazy and these strange things happen to them with monsters and things like that. And they just sort of like, oh, I must have been really tired. You know, yeah, I'm seeing things. Oh, well. And you're like, dude, you just saw a tentacle monster. Come on. So I, I, again, I think there was a reason he wasn't incredibly popular at his time. And it's like, you don't read Stephen King and then go read Lovecraft and say, oh, yeah, Lovecraft was, you know, a pot boiler. Um, but again, for, uh, to go back to where I found Lovecraft, I found Lovecraft through Alan Moore. And one of the th projects that Alan Moore was working on was um, putting together an anthology of writers who would take ideas from Lovecraft and then take them in a completely new direction. And so that has always been in my mind when I think of Lovecraft is this idea of it's okay to just take his ideas that have merit that are really strong that might not be written the best and go someplace new with them. Like we have one character um, who, you know, spoilers or whatever, um, is her family is devolving. You know, it's the same thing as in The Lurking Fear where this family has gone underground. They've become sort of rat-like ape things and they have two different colored eyes. And like The Lurking Fear is a terribly written story. It's so hard to follow. It's impossible to know what's going on. It was serialized, which destroyed all sorts of pacing. It was just, it's not a good story by any stretch of the imagination but this idea of a devolving family going underground becoming these rat things and having these two different colored eyes was such a powerful idea that stuck with me and it was like when i was doing the comic i was like that's exactly what i'm going to do one of my characters is going to be that because i can do so much with that that lovecraft never bothered to touch because he wasn't writing that kind of story and i and again, with Lovecraft, that's the beauty of it. You can take his ideas and go in a million different directions with them, and it was, and it's all okay. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, I, uh, 
know, I, you know I, one thing one that I, that I, I, I really I like about the Miskatonic High was your ability, your ability to, do to do that, that kind of, kind of um, take, take, you know, like you know, the like rats and the wells, or, or, or take, take all these all different, different stories and kind of meld them into what's going on at the time with your with your cast. But then at the same time, have the cast kind of react to that in their own unique ways. And I think that's something, like just the characters are so fresh to the youth of the universe. Universe, but mm-hmm. I think, that, I think you, know, you know, I, 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 I kudos to you, man, because when, when, when I read, I read it, it, I, 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 I really, I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's really a, a smart, smart kind of, kind of um, take on it. it. And it's, and it's, it's been off and off to read. Oh, well, see, now you're just being too nice to me. So I, I, I think uh, you're clearly lying. Um, <laughs> I am not. I thoroughly, you know, thoroughly, thoroughly you know, thoroughly, you know, enjoy what you guys are doing with this entire time. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Well, uh, so it's interesting that you say that because we've been going back and forth. And so, you know, for us, the concept was always these kids in a weird place, but you know, when you came on to, to edit number four from us, for us, I, I felt like I needed to really try and tell you that this isn't going to be, you know, the normal sort of Miskatonic high story, because really what we wanted to do was not limit ourselves to only Lovecraft. Like we wanted to take, do kind of a take on all kinds of pulp fiction. And so we did one where it was, you know, more like, um, you know, like Conan or something like that, where, you know, people fall into a hollow, into the hollow earth and they're fighting druids and dinosaur monsters. And what we, the kind of concept that we came up with was, again, we don't want to fall into a rut where we're giving the audience the same thing all the time. We want to open the door that anything can happen at any given time. But in order to do that, like, my theory has always been you have to have really good characters. And so to to put it into context, when I was a kid, I read a lot of Chris Claremont X-Men. And Chris Claremont X-Men were, you know, these characters and these outcasts. And they were dealing with, you know, people hating mutants and all this thing. And then he would write a story where they go into outer space. And then he would write a story where they would... Um, you know, be dealing with a guy who can change shape into anything. And, you know, he turns into Godzilla and just had fun with it and was silly. And the reason that it worked for me, at least when I was a kid, and a lot of times when I still go back and read some of them, is he knew those characters inside and out. Those characters were always who those characters were. His Wolverine was the same guy from the beginning to the end. And you could tell that one writer had written him because it was written so well and he always stayed in character, which isn't true anymore. But the the concept that I got from that was if you create these characters that people like, that people enjoy, that people find interesting, they will follow you just about to any kind of story that you want to do. You can do something silly. You can do something horrible. You can do something sad or kitchen sink or whatever you want. If your characters are good and they're invested in them, they'll follow you just about anywhere. And that's been our, uh, you know, where we've gone with it. So we really are embracing Lovecraft. We love Lovecraft. We love doing Lovecraft monsters, but that's not the only thing we're doing. We, you know, are just tossing other things in there just for the fun of it. Because that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to do a fun comic that 
wasn't political, that wasn't a drag. You know, when we were doing this, I think we were writing this in 17, 2017 is when we started and, and coming up with the concept. And we were like, you know, the, the world is full of so much tough stuff. People are dealing with so much tough stuff. Why make them go through the comic too, you know? Give them a fun comic where they can read for 20 minutes and just enjoy themselves. And, you know, don't have politics and don't have, you know, topical stuff. You know, just have fun with it. And, you know, to some extent, I think that's partly what the audience has embraced is just giving them a fun comic. Because you you don't always get that nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Miskatonic High is definitely fun. And it's... And it, you know, it's, you know, um, it's um, going back going to what you said with, with, uh, with parents, parents, you know, reading it and having their kids read it, right? Like that, you know, I have a one-year-old, you know, know, you know that, would that would be awesome, awesome to, to, to read something, read something and, 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 you know, she can't talk yet. Yeah, yeah know, definitely don't read that Read that to her. As a bedtime story. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It's got to feel really good to hear that, that, you know, you're impacting so many people's personal lives. You know, you're giving them value and something that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. And I, I don't know if you do this. I think a lot of creators do is, you know, nowadays when I write the comic, I'm writing with my kids in mind. I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and, you know, I'm writing about high school and I'm writing about monsters and writing about terrible things happening to good people and not so good people. And really... For me, it's kind of like I'm writing for my kids. It's like you're going to go through hard times in high school, before high school, after high school. You're going to come across monsters both that are people monsters and both that are, you know, really scary situations that you're going to end up in. And, you know, hopefully you have a group of friends that are stronger than you think and that you are stronger than you think and that you know the right thing to do and you know i'm i'm writing this comic for them in a way you know this these are all the lessons i wish somebody had taught me when i was young and stupid so i don't know do do you find yourself writing for maybe not necessarily for your one year old but for someone else yeah yeah uh, everything, everything that i write, that I write is, is is for someone else. like like the the yeah, best way the I can describe, describe writing, writing, I've told, I've talked about this a lot. A lot. Um, um, whenever you whenever write, you write your, chance, your chance, and this is this is my take on it. It is your mm-hmm. chance to tell the world, world the right way to live. It's it's your view on the world, and it could be you know your you know you know. And however, and you, however want to, you want to, your, your, your characters, characters go, through, go that. through that. No matter, no how, matter fantastical, how fantastical, there's some there's sort of lesson in, in there. And, and so, so when, when I am, when I am when writing, writing, I I I usually deal with, deal with um, what, what, what draws me into stories, the stories that I have found that that compel me to write them. They're usually domestic stories, and those. Domestic, domestic stories, stories are stories, stories that, that um, my daughter, my daughter may, not may not ever go, ever through, go through, but, but 
they're out they're there. Out there. And, so right. and so that's definitely, that's definitely you know, in, in my mind, there's some sort of domestic situation. So like Manic Sin was all about, was all about loss and trauma, losing, losing a child, which is something I ever experienced. But where it came from was I lost my my grandfather stepfather cancer six months apart. Um, and, um, so and so watching my family, watching my deal, family with, deal with that, that kind of was the seeds to them. And, so and so now that I now have, that I have a, daughter, a daughter, um, my um, next series, forgotten him, which is a Lovecraft series. Um, it's, it's when I had her, it's all of my fears of having, having, um, having a daughter in this world, kind of, kind of wrapped up in one of those fears, kind of, kind of Lovecraft. Which I, I really I, enjoy I really playing with. And so, so when I wrote when it, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote it, I wrote it um, thinking, thinking about, about, you know, you know what can't I protect my daughter, my daughter from. from. Right. And, that, and that's, really, that's really, really scary, scary to me. To me. And, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know um, um, it was a lot of fun to write. It's been a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm always thinking about, you know, how can I, how can I, if I had one chance to, um, tell everyone, tell everyone the right, you know, right, you know, my view my on the way, the right way to live, whatever situation this is. That's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, isn't it funny that you know we're we're writing these comics and really, to some extent, they're kind of a time capsule. You know, you're you're trying to get your ideas and your thoughts and your views of the world and everything, and put them in these things and hope that they're going to continue through time and people are going to find value in them. And you know. I, I don't know. I, I always find it very interesting to find why people write what they write. And usually the, the, the writers that I like are people who have big thoughts in mind and, you know, want to tell you the world as they see it, you know. And so I didn't, anyway, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing your new series. I think that's going to be awesome. Oh, thanks. Oh, I, you know, I, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have, to have to send you some, send you some, some teaser stuff because we're, we're getting, getting, ready, to getting ready to put some stuff out there. Like you said, we're starting kind of the, the, the pre-Kickstarter pre Kickstarter launch campaign. campaign. So I'll send oh, you yeah, the fun stuff. times. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, for sure. You, know, you know, just going back to, you know, uh, uh, a time, a time capsule, capsule, I don't want to, you know, be a little be morbid, morbid, but, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. It should be morbid. You know, when... I know I eventually, eventually I am going, going to die, to die. And, and it's just, uh, it's just spoilers. Way, you know, yeah. yeah, just the way just the way the world, right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. There is. There is. I, I never, I never want, want my daughter, my daughter to feel mm-hmm. like she. You know, obviously, you know, obviously if, I die, if I die, my daughter. My daughter you, know, you know, there's going to be feelings you know, and all of that. All of that. But right. I want. I want to. I want to leave. Stuff behind, stuff behind that she could that always, she could always go, to go to and right. say like, all right, all right, this is like, this is my day, like my, my father, my father, right? Right. And I, I, I also, I also want, to want to be the proof, the proof to the statement that you could do anything when, do anything when you put your mind to your mind to it. Right. And so like, so like, I, I really, I really feel, feel a lot of time, a lot of time. Cause I'm a I'm a high I'm school a, I'm a high school teacher, teacher and I, 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 I deal with you know you know high school kids all the time, all the time. <laughs> and, and and that's and another that's reason another I love the book. You did a lot of like a lot of things in there like the like high school things that I see. I'm like oh yeah oh yeah this is totally what what happened. But anyway, we go here there. Um, I I don't want it to come off empty. 
right? Like, yeah, I, I don't I, want I don't to, I don't want to be like, oh, you can do anything you put your mind to. And then she looks at me like, like what, dad? Yeah. And I could say, I could turn it into, I wanted to make a comic book. I wanted to start a podcast. I wanted to do whatever it is. And I didn't and know I how, didn't to, know do how it, to do it, but I figured, but I figured out a way. And so I right. want, you know, I want my, my stuff, stuff, if nothing, if nothing else, else, to just be just proof, proof of that thing to, to my daughter. Right. Yeah. Isn't that, yeah, because I do something, I have very similar feelings. Like, partly, again, that morbid thought, like, in 15 years when my kid doesn't want to talk to me anymore, like, maybe they want to read a comic book or maybe they've read the comic enough and, you know, maybe it's something that they think about and maybe it's a way that I can sneak a lesson in there to them. But, you know, also it, it you're exactly right about not just making something. For me, it was about being who I really am. So, like, I have spent a way, way, way too many years not telling people that I liked comics or not telling people that I liked, you know, that I wanted to write a comic book because I thought it was too geeky. And for the longest time, I was like, if there's one word that was the, the word that hurt the most, it was geek. And I was like, at some point, I was just like, you know, this is so stupid because these are like high school thoughts that are in my head that are keeping me from doing what I want to do. And so partly it's, just being true to who you are. You know, if you like comics, like comics. If you like something, go ahead and say it. Who gives an F what anybody else has to say about it? Even if they don't like it. I don't, you know, be yourself. And that's kind of the, the lesson that I got. And by doing the comic, I'm hoping that they will realize, like you said, that they can do what they want to do, but also that they should own what they want to do, what own who they want to be, that the only person holding them back is going to be themselves and all the stupid things that they heard someone else say. So, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I don't know if every creator goes through that, but I think the good ones do thinking about what is the point of telling these stories that it's not just, you know, to turn it into a TV show and, and make a million dollars and, you know, have have cool visuals and amazing claws popping out of somebody's hands you know that there's an actual story here and you're doing it for an actual reason and and those are the comics that i like and right now i'm only finding those comics in indie comics you know those are the comics i want to read because people are doing interesting things and they're putting themselves out there to do it and those are the comics that i want to support right now so even as i do a comic you know i like supporting other creators who are making comics. I want to read their comics. I want to, if they want me to help promote them, I will be happy to help them promote them as long as I don't have to talk about myself. You know, so I, I think you're exactly right there. And I, I think that's really cool that you're putting that thought into what you're doing. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. And I think that's, I think like, that's like such a, such a, a great and positive, positive way to kind of wrap up, wrap up this, episode. this episode. So before, before we go, we go Mike, uh, Mike, where can everyone can find you? Find you? And, uh, you know, where can they, where can they see Miss uh, Katana Kai? Where can they get their hands on it? Sure. And all that fun stuff. Right. So we are on Kickstarter every other month, Miss Katana Kai. We are going to... Right now we have the Kickstarter for our crossover, Miskatonic High meets Lovecraft PI. 
Um, you can find it there. Uh, we will be having the Kickstarter for issue number nine very soon. Um, I think sometime in late November. So, um, the thing that we do is, uh, each issue is pretty much self-contained. So you can pretty much pick up any issue that you want and just start there. You don't have to have bought all eight issues before this. So buy one, give it a try. If you like it, then go back and find more. Um, we are at miskatonichighcomic.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, if you need me to, I'll come over to your house, but I'll stand six feet away. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, 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 that is often the most the, uh, the uh, marketing, marketing sales stuff that you had to learn to do. Like how long, <laughs> yeah. how long you do uh, <laughs> to, to memorize <laughs> all this? Because I know it, I stumbled around the first few times. Well, you should have heard me on the first podcast I did. It was like, it was the most painful thing you've ever heard. It's like, um, and my elevator pitch is, um, um, the high school kids, Lovecraft monster. Oh my God. Yeah. It takes you a while. Uh, well, well, Mike, this is uh, this is awesome, this is awesome. and hopefully, hopefully if you haven't uh, uh, checked out Mishkatonic High, make sure you go check it out. It's a series that uh, is a lot of fun, and, and I couldn't recommend it out, you know, higher, higher. So Mike, thank oh, you thank for you. Uh, being, uh, being here. Thanks so much for having me. This has really been a lot of fun. I I really enjoy talking about the the process of writing because I don't do it a whole lot. So this this has really been a great one for me. Yeah, me, yeah, me too. Me thank too. you so much. Thank you so much.